to episode 12 of Beyond the Desk, a podcast of West Dallas Public Library. I'm Sarah, and Desiree is back to discuss fabulous fiction by black authors. We chat about Britt Bennett's The Vanishing Half, a book we both read and loved, as well as other novels we recommend. Plus, we talk about why some audiobooks delight us and others annoy us, as well as why we aren't put off by unlikable characters. Welcome, Desiree. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about great reads by black authors, in particular fiction. And one of the books that we both happen to read is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. It's a historical novel with multiple points of view, and it follows two sisters initially, Desiree and Stella, who grow up in Mallard, Louisiana, a small town of light-skinned blacks. And the two of them run away at 16. And Stella, during a job interview, is mistaken for white, which leads her to pass as white. The two sisters are very close initially, and that's when their paths diverge. And Stella ends up marrying a white man who is her boss. And she gives birth to a blonde daughter, Kennedy. And her husband and daughter have no idea that she is black and she doesn't have any contact with her sister or her mom anymore. And then Desiree returns to their hometown several years later with her dark-skinned daughter Jude and she married a dark-skinned black man and their marriage didn't work out. She goes back and lives with her mom and Unfortunately, because of the town being one where everybody is light-skinned and her daughter being darker-skinned, she Jude unfortunately experiences colorism and has to deal with nastiness in the town. But she escapes that when she goes to college in L.A. Because the points of view change, then you get Jude's story. And she has an interesting story because she ends up seeing both Stella, her aunt, and Kennedy at a party, and they don't know who she is, but she knows who they are. And she ends up striking up a sort of friendship with Kennedy. And it's really, I think, she's just interested in learning more about her cousin. And they're very different, but yet they are able to kind of have this rapport. And for a long time, Jude knows that they're cousins and Kennedy doesn't. And then there's another storyline involving a trans character, and that adds another layer to the themes of identity in the novel, and I thought that was a really interesting choice on the author's part, and very well done. I really liked, I don't want to say too much more other than that, because it's um, kind of a, to me it was a surprise. I didn't, um, hadn't heard that part of the story Mm -hmm. um, ahead of time, so I don't want to say too much other than I really liked that storyline. I don't know, Desiree, what did you think of the story? Was there anything that kind of stood out to you? I was very surprised and, I guess, excited for the trans character, Reese, because it's really interesting to hear about what things were like in the past. It's really not that distant in the past, but hearing about Reese's early experience transitioning and how he sought out steroids from gyms, just what it was like to be a trans man in the, what was it, mid-late 70s. That sounds about right, because I think when 
uh, Desiree goes back to town, isn't it like the late 60s when she goes back to her hometown? And then I know it goes all the way into the 90s. Right. Yeah, it looks, I think Jude's at UCLA in the late 70s. So I listened to The Vanishing Half on audiobook, Mm -hmm. and I wish I had jotted down the actor's name, because she does a terrific job, and I loved the way she said Desiree. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, I just really loved a lot of the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Desiree. I don't know if part of that was because we share a name, but I just thought she was just so brave and bright. And when she started working for the FBI as a fingerprint analysis, I just thought that was so cool. And that was another thing where it was like, this is back in the, well, at that point, 60s or whatever, and how they had people analyzing prints and then now how it's all digitized and happens in an instant but she couldn't imagine a computer doing what a human could do like the the nuance of studying the fingerprint i actually forgot that she had the fingerprint analysis that she did that and i thought that was interesting yeah it's not like a big yeah it's not like a big part of the story Mm -hmm. necessarily but it just i thought illustrated how intelligent she was Mm -hmm. and how she just saw like an advertisement for it i think in new orleans and thought, I can do that, and moved out to Washington, D.C. The fact that she ran away with her sister at 16 to New Orleans, that was a big city for them, Mm -hmm. and then on her own moved out to D.C. Yeah, I just really enjoyed her story. And we didn't get as much of Stella's trajectory from when she meets, is his name Blake? I don't remember. When she meets her blonde hair, blue-eyed boss, and he asks her to go to Boston with him because he needs a secretary there, mm-hmm. and they end up getting married. I feel like we get mostly this chunk where her daughter Kennedy is a, a kid, mm-hmm. and it's Stella trying to navigate her life in this kind of white suburb, and the black family moving in I thought was really interesting and sad how she I just found Stella's storyline really sad yeah I think it is but also I guess one thing that I like about Britt Bennett's book is that I think she isn't condemning Stella for her choices she's just following her and seeing how things play out did you happen to watch Passing the movie that's getting some Oscar buzz that's that was released in 2021. No. It's based on a novel that also, of course, deals with passing as white. That one reminded me a lot of Imitation of Life. There were a couple of versions of that movie from years ago. And in those movies, there's this definite judgment factor in terms of a character passing as white. Whereas I feel like Bennett does such a nice job of telling everybody's stories and she's not, again, condemning Stella for her choices. She does this really empathetic portrayal of her characters, I think. It's not so harsh in terms of how they're drawn and the ways that maybe readers are supposed to interpret their actions. I mean, I think that Stella does have kind of a sad situation and yet... I think we can understand, you know, why she 
made the choices that she did. And I completely agree with you about the the empathetic portrayal and the non-judgment from the author. And also, the book talks about the obvious advantage of passing for white. Mm-hmm. But the reason Stella does it, it's not just to make life easier or to get ahead, it's born from this trauma and this fear. She saw her father lynched. Yes. And she carried that with her and was, you know, basically terrified since she was sexually assaulted by by a white man that she worked for. And I I think she feels safe because she's in hiding, like out in the open Mm -hmm. in hiding. There's a part in the book where she says something to Kennedy about how she's so open and don't ever change, but like she's always been closed because it keeps her safe. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I just thought, I guess I found it sad because of the trauma and just the fear. It's like she's constantly living in fear because she's afraid of being found out. And that's why the black family moving into the neighborhood is so triggering because she worries that they'll recognize a fellow black person and then she'll be outed. And then before her daughter is born, she doesn't know what oh, her daughter what her daughter will look mm-hmm. like. Yup, that too. What did you think of the daughters? Because Jude and Kennedy are so different, and yet I don't know if I would say they were friends, but they definitely hang out a lot. And right, yeah, like you said, they had a rapport. I really liked Jude. I'm not a runner, but I could identify with her character and that she was quiet and a reader. Mm-hmm. And the party that she goes to, a Halloween party where she meets Reese, she's you know, really uncomfortable, and I could just identify with her in in the ways of being shy. And then Kennedy, I don't know, the way they described her, I picture kind of like a Disney princess, like (laughs) this kind of fantastical, like, blonde hair and violet eyes. So kind of like a, actually there's a specific Disney character I'm thinking of. I think she's in The Frog Princess, but anyway. She's kind of a brat. (laughs) Yeah, and like she's, you know, wants to be an actress, and her parents were like, we'll pay your rent and support you for a year while you pursue acting. We'll give you that shot. And it's just such a contrast between the two of them. Yeah. um, And the privilege that Kennedy has and just the lifestyle that... Jude leads and she's very hardworking and she wants to be a doctor and she kind of makes things happen for herself. She did get a scholarship to school but just doesn't have the resources to make decisions like Kennedy can. She's not in that position. And it's not that Kennedy isn't at all likable but I mean I think I can relate a lot more to Jude too and I liked that character. Mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like I could picture her, I don't know, kind of like long-limbed and mm-hmm. awkward. And I just really liked the storyline with Reese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, me too. And Barry slash Bianca, that was another fun... <laughs> he was a drag queen yeah. that worked at a club. Mm-hmm. So that was another peek into the past. That was kind of fun. I also really liked Early Jones. Mm-hmm. Me too. He was an interesting character. Early Jones is a bounty hunter slash person who finds missing people. Mm-hmm. And he's approached to do a job by Desiree's husband, Sam, after she leaves with Jude. And he's surprised to see that he recognizes Desiree because 
when he was younger, he was in Mallard for a period of time doing some farming, and he and Desiree had a little a little thing going mm-hmm. on. They were flirty, and he would bring her fruit, and it was very cute. But he was darker-skinned, and Desiree's mother, Adele, basically ran him off. But he recognized her in the picture, and then Sam thinks that she'll have gone back to New Orleans, where all her friends are, but early knows that she'll be in Mallard, so... He tracks her there, and instead of telling Sam where she is, misleads him, and then kind of keeps track of Sam. Because Sam was not a good husband, Mm -hmm. I'll say. Yeah, (laughs) Like, it wasn't really just being creepy and possessive. Sam was um, abusive, so he Mm -hmm. wanted to keep them apart. So he's very noble. So another book that I really enjoyed that I read more recently is The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. And I said read, but really, like you, I listened to this one. It's a terrific audiobook. It's uh, The format of the book is an oral history, so that's a series of interviews that a music journalist, in this case, is doing in anticipation of a reunion show featuring Opal and Nev. And Opal and Nev is this musical duo that they put out a couple of albums in like the 70s. And in the beginning, you kind of get their stories growing up. So you hear a lot from Nev, who's a British singer-songwriter. He eventually, so he tells the story of how he became a musician, how he got into music in the first place as a kid. Eventually, he connects with somebody and they kind of want him to have a collaborator or somebody else to work with. And he sees Opal perform and wants to work with her, so he invites her to collaborate with him. And Their style is called, I guess, kind of Afropunk. You also get Opal's early story. So her sister, actually, I think it was her name's Opal. I think her mom is Ruby and her sister is Pearl. (laughs) And you hear through interviews her sister talk about uh, Opal as a young girl. And in fact, Opal's sister was maybe a better singer, technically, and they both sang in the choir. But Opal's sister ended up marrying, I think, a minister, and she was very involved in the church. And Opal, even at a younger age, was more of a performer and really put on a good show. People might have thought at the time that Opal and Nev were kind of an odd couple but they really made it work it sounds like and then there's this incident that occurs at a concert it's an incident with a confederate flag and it ends in someone's death and so that's kind of one of the the points that the story is leading to you don't quite know what happens you know that something big happened and there's this iconic photograph of opal and nev that is almost as famous as their music maybe more so to some people that this picture that was from this incident. So I don't want to say too much about that. I liked that there was this little bit of suspense in this story that way. And I thought that the characters were just fantastic, like Opal in particular. I think you will fall in love with her. She's outspoken. Not only does she put on a great show, but she has substance. She believes in 
what she's saying and she's a feminist and then she also is known um, not just for being a great performer but for her stylish outfits she has these great wigs and uh, I don't want to say costume her outfits are just um, amazing and she has this collaborator fashion designer named Virgil and he is another one of the great characters that you get to hear um, from and this book is you know the audiobook version there are multiple actors reading. I was gonna ask if it was read by a cast I thought I remembered reading that and then I ordered the audiobook for our collection because it was really well reviewed yeah it was fantastic and Virgil the person who reads Virgil is really good I think that's an interesting format too the interview style but specifically about like you said it was for like a music magazine yeah so the journalist it's interesting she you'd think that she might be objective but really it turns out and this isn't spoiling anything because you find out this early on that part of the reason she wants to do this project, she's the editor of a music magazine, and they have this line of like oral histories that they want to start, and this is going to be the first one, and she's very passionate about this one, in part because her dad is the person who died at this incident. Interesting. Yeah, and so it's she kind of keeps that hidden from co-workers, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, so there's that other dimension that she's actually part of the story herself. Very interesting. Yeah. I think that the the oral history format is just so fun. Like, it's it really draws you in right away. It's great because you have a lot of dialogue, and then, you know, people will kind of tell these little stories about themselves, and sometimes there's these juxtapositions where it's like, you know, somebody says something, and then you get to hear somebody else commenting on the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty good. And I think that, you know, the book deals with important issues like racism and sexism, but it's all in this really entertaining package. And I would say, interestingly, this is not the only oral history about musicians set in the 1970s. <laughs> There's another book that I recently read that shared those aspects. It's called Daisy Jones and the Six Mm. by Tara Jenkins Reid. I think that if you like the final revival of Opal and Nev, check out Daisy Jones. The Daisy Jones book I read first with my book club, and that one reminded me a lot of VH1's Behind the Music, if you uh, (laughs) remember the music documentary series. It is about, as the title suggests, it's about a band. So there's like, I think, seven people in the band, and there are these romances between members of the band and a lot of drama and all of that. And so I think that the series of interviews, that format works really well for that story, too. And it will make you want to listen to some Fleetwood Mac afterward. Very nice. (laughs) It really, like, I couldn't help but think of them as I was reading the story. The author is a a novel, and she's writing about a fictional band, but it just seemed like maybe she might have been inspired by them. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, when you said about the band having relationships amongst, amongst the band members. I really recommend both of those. All right. So when I was looking for something to read, I wanted to check out a Black author I hadn't read before. 
and I really enjoy the crime and thriller genre. And there's this book, These Toxic Things, that came out in 2021 that caught my eye. And it turns out that Rachel Housel Hall is a black author. And so I thought, well, perfect, I'm going to read this book. It's about a girl named Michaela, aka Mickey, and she is actually a young woman, I think like 24. She lives in LA, and she works at a company called Memory Bank, and they make a product called the Memory Bank. I pictured it as a cube that maybe had a screen. Basically what it is is like a digital scrapbook and you can call up memories. So you can say, Memory Bank, tell me about the trip I took with Chris to San Francisco. And it will pull up photos and play you a narrative. And there's maybe music and sounds involved. And that's one of the things that really intrigued me about this book initially was this idea of this digital scrapbook and um, Mickey being this kind of digital archeologist think as a librarian that really intrigued me. So she is putting together a memory bank for a woman named Nadia Denham who owns a curio shop and she has Alzheimer's. She has I think a set of maybe 12 items and that these are the most precious items to her and she wants to remember them. So she hires Mickey to put together a memory bank for her And so Mickey meets with her once at the shop. Nadia shows her around, shows her the item she wants cataloged. She's written little kind of descriptions to go along with them. And then part of Mickey's job is to turn that into like a narrative with more details and more like a story. And she's gonna get to work on it later that evening. But when Mickey comes back to the shop, it turns out Nadia Denham has died. It appears she's committed suicide. Mm. And Right away, Mickey thinks this is very suspicious because why would Nadia kill herself when she was so excited about this memory bank idea and why would she start this project that she paid a ton of money for? But then the the story goes on. Mickey is going to finish the memory bank. Nadia has a son, Dexter, and Mickey thinks maybe Dexter will want it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or Riley, who is the manager of the curiosity shop. She was very close to Nadia as well. Except Riley is not very nice to Mickey. She's very standoffish, pretty rude, seems really jealous that Nadia chose Mickey to make this memory bank for her says things like, well, you didn't know her at all. I don't know why she told her memories to you. You find out actually that they were both raised by Nadia. Okay. And Dexter is black and Riley and Nadia are both white. Mm -hmm. And Nadia never talks about Dexter's father. He knows nothing about him, never knew him. So he grew up in this household where he was a black child and then Nadia adopts Riley, Mm -hmm. this white child. And he just always kind of felt like an outsider in his own home. And so he's an interesting character, very angsty, very attractive. Mickey ends up hooking up with him. So is Mickey then, does she become sort of an amateur detective? Exactly, yep. So Mickey is, one of the characters actually describes her as nosy. He (laughs) says it in, I think, Korean. He says, Um, you're this and that means you're just really nosy Uh Um, but that's exactly what she does because along with Nadia's apparent suicide 
there are murders occurring and these murders are a lot like murders that occurred years ago. And so it seems like the serial killer that was active decades ago is back. And as Mickey is hearing about these other murders and working on Nadi's memory bank, the two kind of get closer and closer together. And this entire time Mickey is dealing with her own drama as she receives creepy notes under her door threatening text messages from an unknown number and that escalates into signs of you know there being break-ins and so that's another mystery is this related to Nadia's death is it related to the serial killer is it something completely different Mickey's parents are acting really weird for some reason I liked it I would definitely suggest it I thought it was really original Mickey was kind of unlikable in that she was she just really seemed 24 but but like also spoiled and also unaware of the world around her which was really surprising given that the world around her is very menacing she constantly forgets to set her security system she comes home one evening she's freaked out by every little noise she hears but at the same time she comes home one evening and a jug of latte from her fridge is sitting out on the counter and it's still cold. And like, obviously someone has just been in her apartment and she does nothing about it. So I don't know, she's kind of flighty. When you were describing her, I had no idea what her age was. I was picturing someone much older than 24. (laughs) It it was kind of uh, hard to adjust to. I definitely don't read a lot of books where the protagonist is in her mid 20s Mm -hmm. and if they are they act more grown up I guess part of it was the project that you said that she was working on I just pictured somebody yeah she's obviously brilliant Mm -hmm. um and like driven and creative but she also lives above her parents garage and but it's really nice it's like basically like a little cottage and Mm -hmm. her parents are well off and she's always borrowing designer clothes from her mom's closet and she's not the most self-aware person but I still enjoyed her Mm -hmm. even though I found her a little challenging at times (laughs) um definitely still rooted for her and this was was... this was a standalone book this is a standalone and I believe Rachel Housel Hall's latest okay and then actually simultaneously I listened to another one of Rachel Housel Hall's books called Land of Shadows, and this is part of a series, the Lou Norton Mystery Series. It's four books in total. It follows LA detective Eloise Norton. She's part of the LAPD as she tries to solve a crime that is strikingly similar to the disappearance of her older sister that happened what 25 years prior was this the first one and this is the first one and i listened to the audiobook i really liked this actor as well she really lent a lot with her voice acting the only thing is that some of the latino characters they kind of to me came across as like caricatures lou's lieutenant is um, lieutenant rodriguez and for whatever reason the actor just goes real hard on those r's and then there was another character who was this little weasley glatino joe pesci (laughs) (laughs) 
His voice was really obnoxious. Those stood out to me in kind of a negative way, but everyone had a very distinct voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just those Latino characters. I think that's a good point, though, when you're listening to audiobooks and why sometimes the audiobooks that have multiple actors reading are actually, they can be better audiobooks in some ways because I feel like you don't have somebody trying to act a voice, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the first audiobooks that I listened to some years back, there was a man reading mostly about a male character and then there was this female character and kind of as you were talking about he read the woman's parts in this really obnoxious whiny uh, high-pitched voice I understand he was trying to signal that this was not the main narrator but it was really borderline offensive it was just really bad yeah and I thought like is this what he thinks women sound like you know and I think he was just that was his maybe version of a woman's voice that he was performing but it just was not good it doesn't necessarily make sense for all books to have multiple readers or actors for an audiobook but when they do you don't have that situation pop up because somebody's just reading that character and it's not like they're somehow trying to signal that this is a different character and it comes off weirdly or something. Yeah, I mean I will say she gives it her all and most of it is really good. I think she really brings Eloise Norton to life in an excellent way. And that was another thing I liked about Land of Shadows is that there are a lot of different characters. They all have very strong, interesting personalities, and Rachel Housel-Hall's sense of place really brings L.A. to life in my mind. I've never been there, but the way she talks about it, I felt like I was there, Mm -hmm. so that was cool. And she lives in Los Angeles, so she knows what she's talking about. Another interesting thing is that these books, I mean, they had similarities. Uh, Black female protagonists both set in L.A., both have to do with crime and um, possible serial killers, but they were different enough in tone that it was like a really different experience, despite the similarities. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think you're going to read more in the series? Absolutely. I immediately checked out the second book. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Skies of Ash, um, and I'm listening to that. It's the same Um, actor throughout the series which Mm -hmm. I love that continuity Mm -hmm. so I'm guessing I'll listen to the whole series okay that sounds like a good one and Rachel Housel Hall has written a couple of other critically acclaimed books that sounds really good so the last book that I wanted to talk about is one that we read for book club for books and coffee here at the library and it was very popular very well liked and we had a good group come out and talk about it it's such a fun age by kylie reed it's a contemporary novel very fast paced so it's one of those that once you get started it's not a mystery but it just draws you in kind of like when we talked about the other black girl Mm -hmm. that kind of story and it begins with an incident in a grocery store amira is I think she's around 26 years old, and she's dancing in the aisles to Whitney Houston with Briar, the young girl she babysits. And a customer calls security, suggesting that Amira might be kidnapping Briar. 
And that's why they're dancing. <laughs> that's why they're dancing in the aisles. So when the security guard comes over, it kind of, you know, just turns into this very odd situation. But Amira is actually with a friend of hers, too. And they're able to call Briar's dad. And Briar's dad, so Amira and her friend are black. And Briar is white. Briar's dad is white. And when they contact Briar's dad, he's able to kind of de-escalate the situation. But it kind of sets you up for a novel that really dives into issues of race and class and gender. And it also features a couple. So Amira is one of the main characters. And it's told through Amira's point of view and also her employer, Alex. Alex is Briar's mom. And Alex is a white woman who is kind of like an influencer. She is able to get a lot of free things that really she could afford. (laughs) So she can be kind of obnoxious at times when you think about her. But the novel uh, really looks at Amir's relationship with Alex and how that changes over the course of the book and also sort of the dynamics of that relationship. You know, Alex kind of wants to be Amira's friend. She has moved away from New York City and kind of misses hanging out with her girlfriends and, and you know, now she's a mom and I think she kind of wants to hear about Amira's, you know, interesting single life and there's this dynamic where, you know, Amira's, like, that's her boss and so that's kind of interesting to see how that plays out. And then during the, the um, incident at the grocery store, a white man starts recording what is happening on his phone. And he thinks that's something that Amira will want. And she doesn't really want that to get out, the recording. She's not interested in that, but he's interested in her too. And so he asks her out and then Amira and um, Kelly is the name of the man. They end up having this romance. We never get Kelly's point of view, but he's also a third um, character in this novel. And I don't want to say too much more and spoil things, but it's definitely a book that I think that you will want to read with a friend or pass along to a friend shortly after because there's a lot to talk about. And it's interesting to think about how do you feel about these characters? What happens to them? I really enjoyed the book and I definitely recommend it. In some ways, I think not all of the characters by the end of the book end up with the same empathetic treatment. And I think it could have been even better if, you know, if they all were characterized with empathy but I think it's a little bit hard to like one of them by the end of the book yeah I don't mind books like that I don't Uh mind reading about unlikable Mm -hmm. people it doesn't it's not a um, deal breaker for me I think it's a good book either way. But, you know, that's a good point. I think that there are definitely a lot of stories, whether you're talking about books or movies, that have kind of the anti-hero or people who maybe aren't likable, but you have this sympathy toward them. You understand where they're coming from, or you're still in some ways rooting for them, even though they do bad things. You know, I think of, like, in terms of TV, like Tony Soprano Mm. or Dexter... You know, um, that kind of character. I just recently started watching Dexter for the first time. 
and I don't know why I waited so long. I think maybe it's one of those things where it was like, I know I'm gonna love this and it's gonna be a commitment, but, and that takes place in Miami, Florida, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. So Land of Shadows actually reminded me of Dexter a little bit in that he works in a police department and in a community that's very diverse. Mm -hmm. And just the descriptions that Rachel Housel Hall gave and then the scenes in Dexter, both so colorful. Obviously, they're different cities, but it reminded me actually of Land of Shadows. So that was interesting. Also, talking about shows with, you know, characters that aren't necessarily likable, I always think of Seinfeld or It's Always Sunny, Mm -hmm. where (laughs) none of the characters are necessarily, like, good people, but Mm -hmm. you watch, I don't know, for the hijinks. Yeah, exactly. Um, And they're likable enough where the hijinks are funny. Yeah, so that's why I always kind of chuckle when people... You know, say, like, oh, I didn't like it because there weren't any likable characters. It's like, there are plenty of successful stories and popular stories with people who, as you say, maybe aren't really likable, but there's something about, you know, what happens that keeps you watching or reading or listening. Mm -hmm. The other thing I was going to say about Such a Fun Age, Mm -hmm. when you mentioned the relationship between Alex Mm -hmm. and Amira. Yes. And how Alex kind of like wants to be her friend, but she's also her employer. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my close friends is a nanny Mm -hmm. and she has been with the family for years and raised the kids from when they were babies. And it's an interesting dynamic because it's like she's part of the family but she also isn't mm-hmm. you know she's paid to be there she has all this insight into the family home and dynamics and her and the mom are really close i can see how it'd be hard to navigate and i think mm-hmm. that's an interesting aspect of of such a fun age too with the added layer of race yeah and in amira's case too she's not a full-time nanny so she's not really like, I think she has a great relationship with Briar, and she's very good mm-hmm. with her. But at the same time, Amira's in this stage of her life where she's still trying to figure out what she wants to do. And she's only a part-time babysitter for Briar. And she's doing, uh, I forgot what her other job is, but she has a second job. And she's just kind of trying to figure out what she's going to do next. And it's interesting because... I didn't mention this earlier, but Alex does have her friends that you get to see her interact with her close friends, and then Amira has a set of friends, and Amira's friends um, in their 20s, um, the, the other ones in her group all seem to be having things going smoothly, or, you know, they're kind of making their way in relationships and in, in their career, and Amira is still kind of figuring that out, and I think... I think that's another uh, aspect of the story. In some ways, Alex is almost nostalgic for that part of her life, maybe, but yet maybe she doesn't remember how sometimes it can be a struggle to figure out your place and where your life is going. Yeah, my 20s were the worst years of my life, for sure. I definitely don't have any nostalgia for that period, so I cannot identify with Alex. (laughs) Much more so with Amira, who is trying to figure things out, and you're an adult, but you also really don't have that much life experience yet, and Mm -hmm. it's so hard to navigate. I don't know, Amira sounds a little more palatable than Mickey. At least she's 
has to work for a living. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought Amira was a, a good character and relatable. And I remember people in our book club discussion seemed to say that kind of that as well. Like they could relate to her experience, even though they might not have the experience of being a black young woman, they could identify with being that age and the struggles of figuring Mm -hmm. things out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much. I think we have some good suggestions. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Desk with Sarah and Desiree. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and reading recommendations. You can find the book titles we discussed in the show notes. Head to westallislibrary.org for more information and click on the podcast icon. If you'd like to join us for Books and Coffee at the Library, February 19th, pick up a copy of These Ghosts Are Family by Maisie Card at the checkout desk. We hope you'll join us next month on the podcast for an in-depth discussion of The Cold Millions, a beautifully written historical novel. That's all for this episode. See you next time.